John 18 is where we're going to be today. John 18 this morning. Uh, this text of scripture that we're going to dive into today, I want to, I want to preface it this way because this is a, this is an interesting passage and quite honestly, it's a, it's a little bit difficult to teach because there's two storylines intertwined together. And, and oftentimes when people approach this text, uh, they, they kind of segment it out and divide it into two different messages because you'll see starting in verse 12, you'll, you'll see how Jesus is uh, carried off by religious leaders and he's put on trial. And then intermixed with this is is this interaction with Peter, verses 15 to 17, verses 25 to 27. Peter kind of peppers this story. And so people look at it and they can't really uh, determine what to do with kind of two different stories and how they're intersecting, but I, I think I've figured it out. Okay. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to, we're going to talk about how these stories intersect and, and what makes this story a little bit challenging is it's a, it's a polarizing story. I, I find when people read this, uh, the common demeanor that we, we walk away with is a good guys versus bad guys. It's kind of like, here's the bad guys and what they did with Jesus. And I'm team Jesus. And so I'm the good guy. And we don't like those bad guys to the point that some people have read a passage like this and they walk away with, this kind of a anti-Semitic flavor in their attitude that they have such disdain for the way people behaved towards Jesus. And, and I don't think that that's God's intentions or God's goal for us in this passage of scripture. Rather, what I find is this, there's this internal challenge with us to pursue God in the midst of difficult, uh, or adversity that we face. May I say it like that? There's there comes times in our lives where we can be put in a position of compromise and and how we or what we choose to follow is oftentimes determined by the foundation that we have built our lives upon. And that's really where you find Peter in this story. He's in this moment that's putting this pressure on him. And Peter actually makes a poor choice at the end of it. Um, but, but I'm going to approach this text uh, not as if we're, we're here to make an enemy of anybody. I, I really want to talk about our own vulnerabilities as human beings that leave us susceptible towards uh, bad decisions and walking down the wrong road in life. And that's what we're going to title it here is the wrong road or the right path. How do we, how do we, rather than go down the wrong road, how do we find the right path? And, and this is what we start to see in the, in the life of Peter, as he is presented with this same challenge, there is this mob of people going down the road, wrong road, and Peter's being influenced to take that road with them. And, and it, you know, it leads me to think, you know, when you get a group of people together, you can oftentimes see a lot of great things happening with a group of people as long as their scope is healthy, right? The trajectory that they're on, as long as it's pointed in the right direction, a lot of great things can happen. But if you take a, 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 another group of the same size and you put them down an unhealthy path, it can become very destructive. And, and that's what we see in this story. So I'm going to talk about this morning, three ways where we have a tendency to be influenced towards the wrong road. And then we're going to talk about three ways to break free of that as we see the the struggle that unfolds in this passage of scripture. So in verse 12 begins for us the section that says, so the Roman cohort and the commanders and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to uh, Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. If you picked up the notes this morning, the first, first part of your blank um, starts to highlight uh, the, the first way in which this group of people is being influenced to the wrong road. Let me, let me just say this before I give you the blank. Um, what you see, these, these individuals, they've, they've, 
they've gone towards Jesus. And we looked at this last week. They, they went to the garden to arrest Jesus. And they came with hundreds of people. Angry at Christ. And, and they come to arrest Christ. And, and the question we're going to ask is, what, what really is, what's motivating this group? Why is there such a disdain for Jesus uh, that they're, they're choosing these moments t- to bind him and lead him and themselves down this road or this wrong road. I think the answer, very simple, and, and, uh, and it could be masked under another word, but let me just give you the blank here. It's, it's fear. I think when you start to look at these passages of scriptures and you see how these individuals are behaving as a group, the thing that's motivating their decision is a lot of it's driven by fear. And we could maybe say and also a little bit of pride, but the pride honestly is, is lending itself into fear. Uh, we, we as people make a lot of dumb decisions when we're afraid. Probably we could say some of the worst decisions we could make in life happen out of a uh, response to fear. And I would say the same thing for these individuals. They come together to this group with this disdain towards Jesus. And a lot of what's motivating their behavior is driven by, by fear. Uh, I, I could say it like this, that one of the reasons they're so concerned about Jesus is that Jesus is bringing this tension into their way of life. And they don't like it. It's, it's creating this divide between the peace that they've built with Rome. And, and Jesus is changing things from what they're accustomed to. And they're, they're not comfortable with the change. Jesus is, is coming at the Old Testament. And he's highlighting certain things that are different than what they've started to, to what they've been practicing within their own culture. And honestly, some of the things they're practicing are contrary to what God intends. And, and they don't like it. And they're afraid of losing it. And out of fear, they respond to Christ. Maybe motivated by their pride, not wanting to lose the identity they have, and therefore they cling to fear over the idea of loss, and, and it leads them down this road. Number two, the, the thing that you see a little further from this in verse 14 is uh, now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that he was expedient for one, it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Number two, the thing that motivated them down the wrong road in addition to fear is this idea of acceptance. Verse 14, you you see it here where when Caiaphas steps in, Caiaphas being the high priest, he's the leader of the Jewish people. He's the one that they would look to for answers. He's the, you know, the one they think of godliness, the picture of Caiaphas is what comes to mind. After all, he's the priest of priests for, for the Jewish people. And Caiaphas gives this, this comment about his response to Jesus. He says, now Caiaphas was the one who had, had advised the Jews that it was expedient for, for a man to die on behalf of the people. Here's what he's saying. If you disagree with what I'm saying, it's because you're not Jewish enough. You're not one of us, right? And if you want to be one of us, you need to get in line and listen to what all of us are about. Otherwise, you don't belong. You're not Jewish enough. And when it comes to us as people, we all have that desire to want to feel it, fit in, to feel like we belong. When we talk about acceptance, I know we, we consider having a conversation with our teenagers or our children about, you know, being accepted and, and finding the right crowd. We, 
we start talking about peer pressure, right? Don't give in to peer pressure. Let's not, uh, let's, let's not bow to peer, peer pressure. It's unhealthy to do things because, because of peer pressure. But when we, we talk about us adults, we're, we're too good for peer pressure. We don't use words like peer pressure. We start to say things like, you know, it's not great for my reputation. More honorable word, isn't it? We're grown up now. We're no longer giving it a peer pressure. We're, we're all about our, our reputation. We need to think about our reputation. But, but what you see in this passage is, is Caiaphas is challenging uh, the, the Jewish identity. And, and in a minute, you're going to see that Peter even struggles in, this, in, in his identity with the Jewish people when the pressure is put on him. Where are you going to belong to? Who are you going to side with? And Peter starts to worry about his reputation. And the Israel, the leadership here, they're using their fear of Jesus and their pride towards their national identity as a way to fuel the people to embrace the group over godliness. You know, we could even maybe tout it like this. You aren't American if you don't, right? Try to stiff arm and strong arm people into a certain decision to follow after the group, even though what the group may or may not be doing is godly. Groups influenced by fear, driven by trying to be accepted. You look at a verse like verse 14 and it just reminds us, you know, it's, it's far more important to know who God says you are than to strive to be who others want you to become. To choose Jesus over groups and the the third is this, in verse 19, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead and we're going to come back to the other two verses in a minute. But the, the third way that the group is driven down the wrong road, verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught you in synagogues and in the temple area where all the Jews congregate. And I said nothing in secret. Why are you asking me, are those who have heard what I spoke to them? Look, these people know what I have said. But when he said this, one of the officers who was standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Like, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this, that in whatever decision you choose in, path, in, in, in your life and whatever the path you choose to follow, if your path includes binding Jesus, killing Jesus, or hitting Jesus, it's the wrong path, right? <laughs> that's that's the, in the middle of the story. But the, uh, the third way that we know that these individuals are walking down the wrong road and the third way we're often influenced towards the wrong road is that we are emotionally driven, uh, you see this in the life of, of the individuals that arrested, arrested Jesus here. Jesus is talking to them reasonably and their response in verse 22 is to turn around and smack Jesus. They're very, very much driven by their emotions and their decision here. But, but here's the catch 22 when you, when you think about you know, the, the misleading of our emotions and how oftentimes we buy into our emotions. And, and it's usually not until after the fact that you realize how much you've given into your emotion and then, and then you regret it. Like nobody in the midst of their emotions would describe themselves 
themselves as being overly emotional. Everyone thinks that their emotions are justified, right? I can give you a hundred reasons why I'm so angry right now and everything with my anger is okay to be angry. Until after the fact, but how do we, how do we know that our emotions have gotten the best of us? Um, I don't think there's anything in and of itself that's wrong with emotion. I, I don't think necessarily there's, there's nothing specifically wrong with the idea of fear and acceptance. All those things can be used in, in, a, in a godly way or for godly purposes if they're honed the right way. But it's not intended to be the, the primary guide to our life. Like emotions aren't intended to be the driving force uh, for the basis of your decisions. Like emotions are a great part of life and I want to enjoy life and I want to do it with, with a great excitement and rejoicing and all, all of that. Like I want, God made emotions. He's the maker of emotions, right? Like there, there's reasons that, that God wants us to uh, go through life and delight in things. He tells us to walk with thanksgiving. Like emotions, Emotions can be a good thing. And even, even bad emotions, or maybe I should say more negative emotions, like there's, there's there, the warning signs that God has given us in life when, when we walk down the wrong path that just indicate maybe this is the wrong path. But, but how do we know that our emotions t- are tending to lead us more than what Christ desires? How do we know it's our emotions and not, not the spirit? I find a lot of people confuse the idea of emotion with spirit. I mean, God is certainly a God of joy, but how do we know we're not given into emotion rather than the spirit of God? Let me, let me just give you a, a, few, a few thoughts. Uh, when you think about the, the fruit of the spirit, the Bible says the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, just a couple of thoughts. Maybe you're justifying or maybe we tend to justify our response in an emotional way. Um, and the way that we find that, we, we discover in ourselves that we're doing that is the fruit of the spirit is patience. And when I'm driven by impatience, Maybe it's an indicator to me that maybe, maybe God is for what I'm about, but the way that I'm about it. Or, or maybe I feel justified in my actions and, and rather than lead with kindness, what's starting to come out in my life because I'm so impatient about what I'm saying is unkindness. I, I can look at probably the Jews in, in the story and they probably feel completely justified in what they're doing because they're afraid of what they might lose. And so in being justified in their fear of what they might lose and their stand against Jesus, what you can see very plainly in verse 22, that no matter how justified they, they have felt, if, if where they're going is leading them to a place of being unkind, and not exercising patience. Perhaps it's a great place to have some warning bells that they're, they're walking the, the wrong road. So in our lives, when fear drives us, when our longing to be accepted by others more than Christ is guiding us and we're all caught up in our emotions, um, how do we respond? That, I don't know if any of you have ever, have ever seen um, this diagram before. Like when we're when we're emotionally led, there's a 
there's a way that we tend to think religiously um, that is unhealthy towards our relationship with God. Meaning, um, we know that we we tend, if we lead by our emotions, tend to sometimes stop thinking rationally. But for some reason within um, the idea of belief or faith, we have allowed um, emotion to dictate decision over what's right or what's true. And, and religious groups will, will tend to tout this. Like it, this is how it happens in our lives. Like uh, you, a great leading down the wrong road is to base your faith off of how you feel, to base your faith off of emotion. Let me, let me just give you an example why. Um, lots of different religions in this world. And let's say I present three of them to you this morning. Let's say I have, we have a Muslim, we have a, a Hindu, and we have a Buddhist that come forward. And, and we ask them all the same question. How do you know what's true? And this is not to be disrespectful to religious beliefs, but let's just say we present those three in front of us this morning. We ask them, how do you know what's true? And the response to justify their faith is, I know what I believe is true because of the way it makes me feel. And if you just listen to what I have to say and you pray about what I'm telling you, if you feel good about it, then what you hear from me is true. And that's how you know it's true because of the way you feel. And the problem with that is if all three religions say the same thing, all three religions can't be true. And the reason they can't be true is because all three religions teach a different religious system and a different God that they base their belief systems on. They can't all be true. They can all be wrong, but they can't all be true because all of them are talking about a different God, yet all of them claim to have positive feelings. As I say all that to say that faith is more important than just a base your pursuit of God on feeling. Because there are some things about God that you may feel make war with your soul, but are completely true. And when you read the story about the Jews in this passage of scripture, that's exactly where they are. Given over to their feeling, driven by fear, want to be accepted by their people. And because of that, rather than walk in patience to what Christ is saying, rather than being kind and considerate, They attack him. And this is generally how it goes. Like we have a a positive spiritual feeling, which brings to us a spiritual witness that it might be true, which then we confirm as the Holy Spirit, which then we determine must be a spiritual truth, which gives us spiritual feelings again. And it becomes nothing but circular reasoning. There is no basis for factual data or physical proof. But I want you to know when when it comes to the Christian faith, like our faith is far more important than just simply basing your life off of some sort of feeling. You're talking about your identity. You're talking about your eternity. You're talking about why you exist, like how you live your life, the pursuit of forever. That's what we're talking about. This is a significant thought and more important than just simply to base it off feelings because here's what happens with feelings. Eventually they leave. Eventually, like Peter, we'll see in just a moment, eventually you're gonna be put in a hard place. And in that moment when there are no positive feelings or it's difficult in those feelings and those feelings flee, where do you go? You crumple. Because one of the most beautiful things I love about the Christian faith is to recognize that God created us body, soul, spirit, mind. And when God gave us a mind, God gave us a mind for the purpose of thinking. Faith should not be driven by feeling, though feelings can be an important part. Faith should be driven by fact, by truth. 
And so three wrong ways that we, we walked down this road, but let me just, let me talk about then three ways that we can break free. And, and by the way, one of the, one of the worst times to, to talk to somebody about their feelings is when they're all caught up in their feelings, right? Like when we're, we're all in an emotional state, you don't look to someone and say, let me, you know what you need to do? You need to calm down. That's like the, that's like the worst thing that you can, you can do when someone's like, I feel like you're too in your feelings right now. Like, that's just, that's only gonna flame the discussion. Like, when, recognize that sometimes we become creatures of feeling and we can be given over to our feeling. Um, it, it's more important to lay the foundation of life before those feelings come. That way, when those feelings come, you can undergird it with, with what is right, what is true, what is honorable. And so three ways then that we can break free from the, those uh, toxic paths in life that lead, can lead us down the wrong road, the, away from fear and the need for other people acceptance and, and emotionally driven. Uh, verse 18, in, 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 or chapter 18, verse nine. Uh, let me tell you the, the answer first before we get into it. Three ways to break free. Number one, number one is humble truth. Number one is humble truth. Um, when I say humble truth, uh, I want to be clear in recognizing I don't mean weak truth. Sometimes when we think about the word humble, we think spineless, coward, wimp. But I don't think that's the biblical word of humble. The biblical word of humble is really all about confidence. It's someone that needs not prove themselves, that can take the position of a servant because they're completely secure in their own identity. They are completely resting upon a truth claim that is not going to rock the world when someone else comes along and, and makes a different statement that's contrary to it. Confident people are humble people. And it's not confidence in us, it's confidence in him and everything that he has created and, and, and proclaimed for us and about us. And, and the reason I want to just highlight that idea of uh, Humble truth, not being a weak truth, is just look in verse 19 at Jesus' response here. And you imagine the middle of this moment, Jesus is being attacked by his own people. They're making a, a Jesus or Jewish, which, which are you? So the, the world is turning against Christ, and even Rome is coming against him at this point. And in verse 19, look at this. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples. The high priest wants to start pulling in the disciples with it and take them down, right? He's, he's come after Jesus. He's saying, let's, let's now talk about not just you and what you taught, but let's, let's talk about your disciples. Too. And in verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world and I always taught in synagogues and in the temple area and where all the Jewish Jews congregate. And I said nothing in secret. Why are you asking me as those who have heard what I have spoken to them? Look, these people know what I said. But when he said this, one of the officers who was standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus here responds in humble truth. But humble truth is not weak. Jesus is not like, oh, you're right. They were in it too. Take the attention off me and let's, let's get these others in here, right? Jesus stands boldly and puts it all on him. You want to talk about disciples? Let's not make it about more than what it is. This is about what I said. This is about who I am. This is about the truth that I proclaimed. The way, the way to break free from walking the wrong road is humble truth. And Jesus, in these moments, he does it boldly. And then in verse 21, what he's pointing them back to is the way to discover the truth. 
that the Jews that have come to arrest him, they're making all these accusations of Jesus. They're walking in the fear. They're trying to find uh, their acceptance among their group, not among God. You're not Jewish if you don't do this. Caught up in their emotions and Jesus says, why are you asking me? Ask those who have heard what I've spoken to them. Look, these people know what I said. But when he said this, when the officer who was standing by struck Jesus saying, is this the way you answer the high priest? Verse 23, and Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong, but if rightly, why do you strike me? And what Jesus is actually doing is he's pointing back to the Jewish law. Jesus knows there's certain rights and laws in Jewish practice when, a, when someone is brought on trial that need to be observed. And those laws include that if someone's making an accusation against him, that that person making the accusation needs to bring forth witnesses that rightfully, that truthfully accuse them of the wrongfulness that they've done. And Jesus is saying, look, obey your own laws. You're caught up so much in this that you're not even observing what you're told to do, what is true to do, what is right to do. You you need to walk through this in the right way to listen to what other people have said about what I have taught. Stop in your emotions and use your mind. Just consider. Don't worry about just trying to necessarily identify with people, but listen to what's been told to you. Listen to what God's spoken humble truth. Jesus in the story, he points them back to the truth. There's a reason there is a process. We don't want to just pit people against one another. The world's had enough of that. Your side versus the other side. Let's walk with kindness and patience and humble truth. Not only Not only is it important to see that Jesus is pointing them to the truth, but in verse 23, Jesus is also doing this. He's doing this graciously. He points to this truth graciously. Jesus doesn't respond to their emotion with emotion. Jesus doesn't respond to their might makes right by flexing his muscle back. Jesus doesn't scream. Jesus doesn't uh, create a scene or Jesus doesn't make enemies. He's loving and he's truthful. You guys know, no, one, no one's ever got in the middle of an argument and started in a shouting match and one person looked at the other and said, oh, thank you so much. I, I wasn't understanding until you yelled even louder. And now that you've yelled louder at me, I am more convinced that you are true, right? People, that's not, that's not what, what our arguments are, are helpful in. Like, they don't help anybody, right? And, and Jesus in these moments, rather than raise his voice and response back, He walks in humility without truth, or with truth, excuse me. Um, guys, when we share truth with people, but we lack humility, we become just like them. Like if you know someone's plainly wrong in something they're doing or saying, and you come at them like a force with truth, matching their power with your power. And you lack humility. You become just like them. And I love the way that Jesus, he's teaching us through modeling here in this moment 
Um, when I think about just the beauty of this, this moment and then historically how God's people have stood throughout history, one of the, one of the most famous interactions, um, Martin Luther, who I'm glad if there's one fad that did not continue is Martin Luther's haircut here. He's just, he was certainly led down the wrong road when it came to his barber. But this is a picture of, of Martin Luther, and this is in... Um, Martin Luther, if you uh, know anything historically about him, he led the Protestant Reformation, and he did so on October 31st, 1517. 504 years ago to this day, uh, Martin Luther took a stand for truth, and he took a stand that was contrary to how uh, the rest of the world was really going in, in a lot of ways. I mean, he was a minority, I should say it like that, for for truth, and he, it was on, uh, on October 31st, 1517, that he tacked the 95 Theses to the door in Wittenberg, to the castle in Wittenberg, for a de- debate over things that he recognized, just people were not walking in accordance to God's word. But then it was in April 19th of 1521, 500 years ago, uh, that Martin Luther was brought before King Charles V. And laid out before Martin Luther was all of the works that he had written about the truth of God's word. And it was in this moment that Martin Luther gave a statement that I, have, I find to be the statement that I feel has really provoked what became the Protestant Reformation. And the reason I think that this statement became so memorialized in this condition is because of the way Martin Luther composed himself in these moments. And Martin Luther, before he, he's got religious leaders around him, he's got the king in front of him. Martin Luther in this moment could have very easily had his head cut off right after this. But I think that he walked into this moment with the grace of God behind him in such a way that he was able to at least articulate a thought that really fueled, I think, what the Protestant Reformation became. And he said this, he said, I, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason." I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. You know what you see in this thought? Humble truth. It's humble truth. Martin Luther could have gone in this room and been like, you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. You know, he could have called out, he could have done all that, right? But he didn't. He's saying, look, this is how I discovered where I'm at, and this is how you can discover where I'm at. And unless I can be convinced logically of where I'm at being wrong, I don't want to walk that road. Because at the end of the day, what I have to deal with is my conscience. And therefore, what I must stand on is truth. It's a a beautiful phrase that just brings together in in a glorious way, humility and truth. How do we break free from the wrong road? It's humility and truth. Feelings can be misleading. And there, there is a prison not too far from here full of people who felt really good about the decision they were making at the time. Driven by their emotions. Uh, emotions are a God-given thing, but our emotions aren't, aren't given to us to determine what's true. Truth transcends us. Truth, God is the creator of. In finding truth in him, 
It's far more important than the emotions that guide us as people. Humble, humble truth. Number two, number two is fear, fear over faith. I'm gonna show you this real quick. Um, in verse 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. Now the disciple was known to the high priest and he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing at the, at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke uh, to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave, the slave woman who was at the door was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you are not alone. You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. In verse 25, now Simon Peter was still standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not one of his disciples as well, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest who was related to one whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied it again. Fear over faith. Now, I know when you read this story, you're like, okay, if your point is fear over faith, this is definitely, uh, or um, faith over fear, this is definitely fear over faith, right? We want to have faith over fear, but Peter in this moment is having fear over faith. And so when you you understand the truth of what God calls us to, we certainly want to have fear over faith, but Peter is doing the exact opposite. So, so how do we take the story of Peter doing the exact opposite and encourage us to not do what Peter's done, right? Um, Well, I want to, when I read this, I want to give Peter just a little bit of credit. When you read the story, you realize all the other disciples have, have long since disappeared except for two. There's one that's not named, which is most likely John, who wrote the Gospel of John. And then there's Peter. And at least Peter's willing to show up. At least, at least Peter's willing to, to put himself out there, and he knows that there's risk in, involved. But Peter falls, and Peter falls hard. He denies God three times. And when you read a story like this, guys, I think if Peter, whom Jesus called the rock, is able to fall and to do it three times, I mean, we're capable of the same thing. We can get all puffy in our position, and next thing you know, when we think that we're something special, we can fall as, as well. And, and not just once, like once you repeat a sin, it becomes easier to do it two, three times. And that's what Peter does. He starts just spitting off in the mouth and denying Jesus, right? One, two, three times he denies Christ. And, and that's why Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard your heart because from it is the wellsprings of, of life. Sin can destroy us. And for Peter, Peter falls here because the cost was too much. He gave in to fear. We think just a little bit ago, if Peter was taking out a sword to fight 600 plus people. Now all of a sudden he cowers at this slave girl. Peter's afraid because the cost, the cost was too much. In Acts chapter five, verse 29, we see a little bit later that Peter in the very near future finds himself before religious leaders. And and Peter says in chapter five, verse 29, shall we not obey God rather than man? Peter finds a place to stand for the Lord. But I wanna remind you in 2 Timothy 1, 7, guys, it says, God does not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If you're reacting out of fear, most likely you're not being led by faith. God's interest is not in pulling you from things that you need to run from, but rather drawing you into things to, that you, you're to live your life for, things to... to 
uh, pursue in him. God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And here's where Peter finds the right road. In verse 27, Peter then denied it again. And immediately a rooster crowed. (laughs) Who would have thought a a rooster crowing would have been uh, a marker of God's God intervening in her life, but, but this is what happens for Peter. He, he comes this moment and he's given into fear rather than faith. And then all of a sudden a rooster crows. And in Luke chapter 22, verses 61 to 62, this is, I think, written wrong in the bottom of your notes. It does, it, I think it's written as John, but it's in Luke chapter 22. There's no John 22. In Luke 22 and verse 61 and 62, it tells us in that moment when the rooster crows, Jesus actually looks at Peter. And Peter realizes what happened. And he runs out weeping. In John chapter 13, verse 38, Peter, Peter was told this by Jesus. Uh, P- Jesus comes to Peter and the rest of the disciples. He said, guys, I'm about to die. And Peter's response to Jesus is over, over my, my, my dead body. That's gonna happen, Jesus. If, if you're going down, we're all going down, right? And, and Jesus says to him, the very last verse of chapter 13, he says, no, Peter, I, I need you to know that before this night's over, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. And all of a sudden, this rooster crows and Peter realizes what he's done. And Jesus looks at Peter and Peter runs out weeping. But I want you to know, this is a very, a very gracious moment by God. When Jesus looks at Peter, he's, he's not coming to Peter to, to realize, Peter, you're a failure. He, he foretells to Peter that Peter's going to turn his back on Jesus so that when the moment happens, Peter realizes that even knowing that Peter's going to deny Jesus, that Jesus did nothing in that night other than just continue to love Peter. Knowing Peter was gonna reject Jesus, Jesus still loved Peter. And guys, when I think about our journey in this world. Uh, I realize that we're not gonna live life perfectly. Like when I, when I think about, you know, sometimes we can be given into our emotions and we are unkind and we can be impatient and we do want the crowd's acceptance over, over God and we let fear lead us rather than faith. I want us to realize that when we look at the story of Peter and this, this crow that, or this, this rooster crowing, that it's, it's not just a story for Peter, that it's, that it's a story for us too, that all of us have our, our own chicken. And I want you to see um, the place that I got this chicken actually. Um, there you go. Been looking for a way to work this in for a while, but um, you, you never know when your rooster moment's gonna happen, right? Um, it could be in the middle of nowhere Africa. All of a sudden, someone comes to you and they're like, we wanna give you a gift and here's a rooster. <laughs> and I'll be honest, when I was almost 40 years old. This is the first rooster that's ever been given to me. And, and when you're in the middle of, of the middle, the middle of a jungle and you're around a, a village of people and they come to you with a rooster, you want to pretend like you've been there. Right. And, and they come up to me and they want to give me a gift. I didn't know they wanted to give me this gift, but all of a sudden they just scoop up this rooster and they hand it to me like it's a gift. And I, I want to pretend like I've been there. So I just grab the rooster. Like I, I, uh, 
I have held a rooster before, but this is the first time I've ever held, held a rooster. And so I'm holding the rooster like they handed it to me and I'm looking all confident in picture one, like, yeah, here's my rooster. And then you look at picture two and then the rooster tucks its head, that little devil bird. I, I didn't know that roosters could turn so well, but he, he takes a glance down at my midsection. I'm like, man, I am in the middle of a jungle about to take a wound from a rooster. And you, you, never, you never know when your rooster moment's gonna happen, right? I, I think the same thing with Peter. Same thing with Peter. Peter braved just a few minutes before. And then all of a sudden he's before a slave girl. And all of a sudden his bravery is gone. <laughs> Guys, when I look at this story with Jesus coming to, to Peter or looking at Peter when this rooster crows, I think it's very easy to tie the story to us. Let me just tell you why. Quite honestly, I know it's funny to look at the pastor getting pecked by a rooster here, but um, the rooster uh, isn't, isn't actually a real rooster. <laughs> and what I mean is in, in the Jewish temple, there was a position called the, the temple crier. And often he was referred to as the crower or the rooster. His job was to sound a horn when different positions were being taken in the temple. He would sound the horn at times when, when the altar was to be cleared of the sacrifice. He would sound the horn when the priests were supposed to come to the temple for the day to start the worship. He would sound the horn when people were cleared to gather in the temple for sacrifice. On this particular night, not only is the rooster recognizing when Peter failed, but it's also a cry that's supposed to recognize when the worship is to begin in the temple. And guys, if you think about the significance of the moment, this is Passover. This is when the priest is supposed to be walking to the temple to receive the lambs for sacrifice. This is the moment that they're supposed to be clearing the altar for the lambs for this great festivity. But on this night, what you see in this passage of scripture is rather than the high priest going to the temple for the busyness of one of the most important holidays that the Jews celebrate, rather than go there to receive the lambs, the high priest is about to receive the lamb. His name is Jesus. Caiaphas is about to have delivered to him the lamb. That rooster becomes the mark for our lives. That when we think about the roads that we can walk in this world, there are many temptations that can lead us down the wrong road. Fear, wanting to be accepted by others, caught up in our emotions. But then there are things that God gives us for the right road. Humble truth, faith, and even these moments in these roosters. And the rooster represents for us really a place of repentance, a place of recognizing that in Christ, because of his grace that never stops loving, we always have a place to turn. Because in Jesus, we always have that rooster moment where God is completely aware of our failures. He sees us, but he never stops loving us so that we can find ourselves in him. 
walking in the freedom for which he brings, pursuing the right path. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.